Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. You're going to love this show. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. I'm with Alex Youngblood. Alex, how are you? Good, man. Awesome. Good to be here. Hey, I want to skip the niceties and get right into our interview. Is that okay with you, Alex? Yeah, that's good. We're all doing <laughs> deals. We're all making money. Everybody's happy. Yeah, Next. It's great market. <laughs> but uh, we have such a great guest on the show today. And a lot of you guys, I bet you 99% of you have seen his videos on YouTube. He's everywhere. He's a great educator. I get inspired watching his videos. His excitement, his passion is contagious. And his name is Phil. And I'm Phil. I'm sorry. I'm not going to try to even pronounce your last name. But you're <laughs> Phil, the Freedom Mentor from YouTube. There you go. Phil, how are you? I am great. It's Phil Pustiovsky. And Pustiovsky. for everybody out there, it's, it's real simple. It starts with a P, ends with a new Stiovsky. Rolls right off the tongue. Y'all, thanks so much for having me. Pustiovsky. Pustiovsky. Nailed it. Is that, what uh, nationality are your parents? It's Czech. No it's way. Czech. So, yeah. So if you go onto Google Maps, type in Pustiovsky, but take off the S-K-Y, Pustijov, and, and put comma, put, uh, it's now called Czechia, Czech Republic, and there's actually a town, Pustijov. And that's you don't know anything ancestors about the Czech Republic, Joe. Well, Phil, I've been there four times to <laughs> Prague, and twice we've lived there for three months. I love the Czech Republic. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Do yeah, you, you know a lot more than I do. Do your parents, were your parents from there, or have you ever no, been there? No, it's, it's, it's great-great-grandparents. It's going back a couple of generations. They all moved to central Texas because apparently they were giving away a lot of land for farming. And so, uh, in fact... Believe it or not, quick trivia, if you all are ever driving south of Dallas toward Waco, Texas, maybe you're going to go check out the HGTV folks, uh, Magnolia Farm yeah. or something. And, um, and where I, uh, 35 meet, is a town called Hillsboro, Texas. Okay. And uh, there are more Pustiovskis in the phone book in Hillsboro than the, than the last name Smith. <laughs> That's the epicenter right there. Wow. That's interesting and fascinating. <laughs> hey, but Phil, um, we've only got half an hour because I didn't schedule this too well, and uh, so I apologize. But I wanted you, – you have um, – you're, you're very, very active in the real estate business right now. You're doing a ton of deals. You have a great coaching education program, but your real passion is doing deals, and you do, if I could say this, a crap ton of deals with your students – um, all over the country, right? Can you give us just a quick introduction of you and people who have not heard of you before? Sure. Okay, so um, Freedom Mentor, It's the, the concept there is the, the goal really for real estate investing is ultimately to, to provide freedom or more freedom in life. And um, Imagine my, that. <laughs> and, and, and my story goes that um, um, when I graduated from college, I, um, I, got a, I got a job, and it was my only job in life, and I, I didn't like it. I was bored, and so I uh, – I started reading books on wealth, and uh, I was from Nashville, and this guy had written a book that was from Nashville named Robert Sheeman on how to flip houses and make oh, money. Oh, yeah. yes, Robert and, um, Sheeman. Yeah, and, and 
subsequently, years later, I got to know Robert real well. But I remember reading this book going, well, if th- and, and I think to myself, if that idiot can do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> there's no way I can't figure this out. I'm a college edu- educated. Well, I got out there and I failed miserably. Uh, true story. I did go homeless. I was 22 years old, did not tell my parents because I had quit my job and they had spent so much money on my college education just for me to throw it all away to become some, quote, real estate investor. So I, I didn't tell them what was going on. I'm living out of my truck. I'm praying for a miracle. I wasn't really even a Christian at the time. And then what happened was a guy who had grown up in real estate, who was very successful, happened to be back home in Nashville because his mom was going through cancer treatment. And he ran into me when I was flipping a house. And this would have been in 2002. So um, this was back when you know there really wasn't much in the way of Internet. I had put out some signs and whatnot. And um, he hears my story. He goes, let me get this straight, man. You got a degree from Vanderbilt, which in Nashville is considered like the Harvard of the South. And uh, he goes, and you're, you're, you're homeless because you, you want to be an investor? And he started laughing. He goes, I never went to college. Uh, I, you don't need to go to college for being an investor. And I said, I know we're kind of late into that game. I've already went. Um, he goes, well, I'll teach you what to do. Now, don't get me sued. Don't do anything stupid. And I'll teach you what to do, and we'll split the profits. And that's exactly how that conversation went. Well, um, he became my mentor. And so um, he showed me what to do. We made a bunch of money. And that was, if you look at the time frame there, that's 2003 through 2005, six. That, that was the run-up of that market. Yeah. And we just crushed it. And then um, when the market uh, tanked, uh, I got into short sales. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I could do the same thing that my mentor did for me. Let me go do it for others. And that's how Freedom Mentor was born. And it was that same model of splitting profits. And so um, so what we do today now is I have an entire nation of apprentices. And uh, I now have an entire team of coaches that some of my coaches started with me back in, you know, 06, 07 kind of time frame. And, um, and what we do is we mentor people all day long. It is 10 hours a day, uh, six days a week, and we are just hustling, especially right now, because the market is so good. So we're just trying to shovel as many deals through, pick up as many things as we can now while the market's red hot. Because when the market is hot, it just makes it a lot easier to resell real quickly and then to do one of my favorite things in the world, which is create a multiple offer situation. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're doing it all across all 50 states. Yes, Hawaii. Yes, Alaska. In fact, we've got somebody in Puerto Rico, although Puerto Rico is a wreck of an economy down there. I've got people in Canada as well, and Canada's red hot as well. And, uh, and that's what we do. And so we split the profits with them, and, uh, and, and I'm in this game mentoring them every single business day for long periods of time. That's awesome. I wish we had more time because I have so many questions to ask you, Phil. Uh, but you, you wrote a fantastic little book called Real Estate Gone Bad. And uh, you, <laughs> when we were talking before we started recording, um, you, you mentioned something about how you love to collect the, the, the horror stories. And uh, we've all got them, I guess, don't we? I mean, it pains me to admit it. And, and I start thinking about some of my deals that gone, that gone bad. Like every rehab I've ever tried to do, Phil, I've lost money on. So I've given up on rehabs. I'm just not a rehabber, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And, and Alex well, has a fantastic story of how much money did you lose on your first deal that was, a, that was actually a lease option, Alex? Do you remember this? 
Oh, I didn't. I actually didn't lose money on that deal. I just ended up going to court um, because the tenant buyer tried to sue me for the down uh, for the deposit. Right, right. Because uh, there was a, a title issue where they thought a lot was supposed to convey with it, and they didn't. But eventually, you got your money back. They stopped paying me rent while they were uh, while we were in the court process, and the judge actually took all the rent that they owed me and subtracted the deposit from it and gave that back to them and gave me the rest of the rent. I was like, mm. but I wholesaled it and got rid of it and made like 15 grand, but it was, you know, it, it took a few years, obviously. For that, that was whole. your first deal. That was my first deal. Yep. <laughs> so Phil, you've got a lot of stories. I imagine that you've heard about, you've maybe even been participant in yourself. Yeah, and by the way, Alex, I loved hearing that story, too. I am a connoisseur. I am a collector of real estate investing <laughs> horror stories. You know, they, um, it was quoted by Winston Churchill, although I don't know that he actually said this, that no good crisis should ever go to waste. I love hmm. learning from the mistakes. We've been through it, right? Might as well share it. <laughs> yeah. I love the mistakes of others because so often – the lesson in there, that person paid for it. You know, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. In other Absolutely. words, you know, Alex, what you just went through, you talked about how that lot didn't convey correctly. That little nugget right there, you know, you can monetize the, the, the lesson there. And that was the fact that the judge added up all the rent payments and called that uh, and put, pulled that against the deposit. So literally, we can put a number to that lesson. And, and what I have done is I have collected this information, not only from my own experience or the people I've talked to or some of my apprentices, especially those that don't always listen to me, uh, or, <laughs> or just outside world that I know that every time I get one of those, like you just said, and we always get a title search before we even do a, a lease option deal, is that that right there is accumulated wisdom that someone had to pay for. Because so often I feel like people try to get out of um, the world of real estate investing without understanding that there's a cost for your education. Now, you either are paying for it with either buying coaching or paying for courses. You're either buying it that way or you're going to go out in the real world. And don't worry, that real world's going to charge you, too. They charge you in a different way, but you still have to pay for it. And so these these stories, every single one of them is absolute gold when you hear it, because to me, you just – you just didn't have to pay for that education. But I, um, yeah, uh, one story, and, and we may talk about some others as well here, that from the book Real Estate Investing Gone Bad, that I think really encapsulates what's going on in the marketplace, but it's going to always continue to happen. And I love it because Joe already brought it up, and that is rehabbing. Is, is this story, is actually the first one in the book. And that is this individual, and this is, just put yourself in this individual's shoes. They're looking for a deal, looking for a deal, but there's all kinds of competition. And so they they realize that they can't just simply go make an offer, make it low ball, wait for the seller to come back. No, they got to move and they got to move quick. So they make an offer and um, the seller, in this case, is a wholesaler. The seller says, look, you're going to have to provide non-refundable earnest money. I mean, anybody who gets a deal this good, that that's that's part of the risk. There's this non-refundable earnest money of $3,000. So person puts the money in, and um, they get ready to close. And prior to closing, they're going to get their contractor out there. They're going to get some, some feedback on not only what it's going to take to renovate, but also to feel like what is it going to sell for once it's completely finished. And what happens is, and this happens a lot, I call it the due diligence phase. During due diligence, 
stuff comes up that's not positive. And I am such a huge fan of when you get ready to actually buy a deal, even if you're just acquiring it creatively with a lease option or subject to, when you're going to put your name on the dotted line as the owner, especially if you're putting money into a deal, it's at that moment that you need to take a step back and become the most negative person in the room. I mean, you need to think doom and (laughs) gloom. Everything that you thought about positively, you now need to rip that to shreds. What can go wrong? Mm-hmm. But in this story, the person didn't do that. Instead, they, they heard from the contractor that it's going to take an extra 10000 more than they thought to renovate. They didn't like to hear that. They talked to an agent who's actually being honest. Most agents are a little bit um, – they, they, they at least puff a little bit on what it's really going to sell for. But this agent was real and told them what it really sell for, and it was lower than they thought. But this person already paid $3,000. They're already in the deal. And they, they really want to do a deal. They're kind of new and they see it. it's on television and there's these podcasts and YouTube videos about it. They want to get in the game, right? And so they go ahead and close on it. Now we've just entered a whole new realm. They paid too much for the house. Ah, but they're not going to stop there. Instead of just cutting their losses, instead of just having left that $3,000 in the wholesaler's hands and saying to themselves, well, that's a good learning lesson. Don't give non-refundable earnest money until you've done an inspection and at least gotten some contractor bids. So they should have just gone away with that lesson. No, but they're just getting warmed up. Instead, <laughs> now they've paid too much. They realize that they have to over-renovate because they're going to try to leapfrog and sell it for more than what that agent said. And the way they're going to do that is as opposed to Formica countertops, they're going to throw in granite. Or, or the new the new phase right now is, uh, is quartz. Or yes. they're going to do is they're going to put in fancy tile in the bathrooms as opposed to just that that overlay stuff you know you can put into a bathroom. And so uh, they put in too much money in the rehab. And plus there's some new problems that occur because what happens is they decide they want to knock out this wall and that wall. Well, that, that wall, if you knock that out, you have to move some of the electrical. If you move some of the electrical, you have to be careful that, that you don't get caught with, uh, with doing uh, work without a permit. So new issues ensue. And then they come to the, the, the understanding, and this always happens in a rehab, Joe, I'm sure you've seen this, where when, you've, when you feel like you're pretty much done, you realize that some of the things that you, uh, that you didn't fix, they yep. stick out like a sore thumb now because everything else is new around it. Mm-hmm. And now the appliances, which didn't look old, now they're that almond color. They're not white. And the kitchen cabinets are white. And now the darn appliances look terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so it's like this morphine problem that started with paying too much. Now they put too much in rehab. So now that they finally finished, they put it on the market and it doesn't sell. And the reason it doesn't sell is because they have it listed too high, especially in a market like this. Y'all, if you're listening, if you have a, a, a property, either you're trying to wholesale or you're trying to sell to a retail buyer and you haven't sold it yet. I'm going to give you some important wisdom. You're listing it too high. That's it. And we're done with that discussion. If you haven't sold it, it's listed too high. That's really it. If you're trying to wholesale or retail, assuming you have it in front of the marketplace, if you're wholesaling it to one person on your email list, of course, that rule's not not valid. But So they don't sell it right away, so they drop the price. And then they get into this other problem, Alex. They drop the price too low. Then they're going to lose money. 
So mm-hmm. they, they have to kind of leave it at a certain number. But the market's not going to pay that much. It's listed too high. See, they're getting showings, though. And so that's got them all confused. So they're asking the agent and they're emailing them four times. What's your feedback? Why haven't they bought it? And the agent comes back and says, oh, they like this one, but like three others as well. And they're fooled into thinking that it's priced right. But, quote, we just need to wait longer. That is the game, isn't it? (laughs) That is never the case. If If it's listed too high, you don't sell. You drop the list price to a certain threshold. It sells instantly. That's how it's always worked in real estate, in good markets, bad markets, every market. Okay, so they don't sell it. So here's what they do, y'all. They don't, they don't cut their losses, which, again, they should do at this point. They should just go ahead and cut their losses. No, no they, they hear that there's a way to solve this problem by doing a refinance. Now, they have to wait six months, but it's oh, already been boy. six months since they started. So now what they're going to do is they're going to refinance because it'll appraise more than what it'll sell for, which is refinance appraisals always appraise way too high. So if you're ever looking at a deal, y'all, just a little quick tip, and and the seller tells you, hey, I got an appraised last year when I refinanced yeah. it, and here's what it appraised for, you can be rest assured the refinance appraisal is too high. Okay, so they go ahead and order an appraisal that costs money, and they work out a refinance. And their plan is, is they're going to rent the property out. Now, if they would have been watching y'all or listening to y'all's podcast, they would know they should do a rent-to-own, not just a normal rental, because a rent-to-own to get money up front, the person's more committed to buying, all those great things. But they didn't, they didn't listen to your podcast. So instead, they're going to get a normal renter in there. All right, so the refinance has now cost more expenses. You have paying too much, too much in renovations. Now they've got a, a bunch of... Uh, interest and what other fees that go into you know the new title insurance when you refinance. So now they're further into this bad deal. By the way, <laughs> I've seen this happen a lot. This is a specific example, but I see this happen a lot. And, uh, and so the next step is they put the tenant in there and then they go through the hassles of having a tenant who doesn't take care of things, even though the house is brand new, um, a, a tenant that doesn't replace the, the filter in the AC. So the AC has problems because it's always uh, sucking air through a, a, a thick filter. They have mm-hmm. issues related to all the other things that go on with being a landlord, like the like the rent's late each month, and then they keep trying to threaten them, but the people keep saying, hey, it'll get better tomorrow. And then a year goes by, and now the tenant just stops paying altogether. So now they have to evict them, and then the tenant on the way out destroys some things, rips some stuff out. It's brand new, but no longer brand new. They take a couple of the appliances and or they must have sold them on Craigslist, but one way or the other, the appliances are gone, the house is trashed, and those people are flat broke. So if you take them to court to get the money back, it's not going to matter anyway. So now the person's a year later, and uh, they got a house that needs to be remodeled again. And so they, uh, they of course, re- you know, remodel it again, put it on the market. And the end of the story was they ended up just kept dropping the price, and they ended up losing money a year and a half later after all that rigmarole. Wow. Who would ever want to get into real estate <laughs> after yeah this is <laughs> who's going to want to get a real estate after listening to this podcast <laughs> that right there encapsulates so much of what actually goes on in the real world and um, no the reason why i love these kind of stories is because when, when people listen to that they then can make adjustments to their mental plan and they can say okay Obviously, guys like Joe and Alex and Phil have made a ton of money in real estate. They love talking about real estate. They're continuing to do the, the, the business. So obviously it works well, but it only works well if you do it right, if you don't, if you don't jump onto some landmines. And so I, 
Yeah, that story, I think the big lessons you take away from that is, y'all, if you're going to do a rehab, and, and I love Joe's point of he just punted rehabs altogether. I get it, man. And you know what? That's a sharp way to do it, too. It works real well to punt them all together if you don't want to dive in and deal with some of the hassles. Um, is buy it cheap enough so that all the things that could go wrong, when, not if, yeah. when they go wrong, you're still okay. So my mentor would say, he would say, Phil, you only do rehabs on deals you can drive a Mack truck through that have so much room in them. And uh, he didn't mean you drive a Mack truck through the actual house. He meant you know, <laughs> the, actual, the, the profit spread is so big that you, if you, you always, always estimate too little on rehab cost every single time. I am I'm 15 years into this, y'all. I still do a lot of rehabs, and I still underestimate. I did it again this week. And my wow. contractor, who doesn't speak any English, was trying to explain <laughs> to me this. And, uh, and I was like, I, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I teach people this stuff, and I just did this. I'm such an idiot. Um, well, what, what percent of your deals, Phil, are rehabs, and what percent are just quick flips? I think we do uh, um, probably about 20% of rehabs, um, just sh- sh- um, right off the, uh, off the hip here. Uh, we do probably about 30% or kind of your wholesales. And I say the, the rest, really about 50% are what I call these um, creative structured acquired properties that we do some slight renovation to. And I, I think y'all use a different phrase like wholesale to retail or, or wholetailing. Wholetail. Okay, yeah, y- y'all call it wholetailing. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, we just like we have our own language in our organization. <laughs> right. So, um, so I, I call it, I call it um, you know, basically creatively acquiring a deal with subject to usually. Um, or it's a subject to with some owner financing. So a lot, our go-to move is this. Since our company funds a lot of the deals that our students do, we can obviously throw money at the deal and just buy it all cash. But what we'd rather do, because it's just cheaper, it's just the math is cheaper, is to, is to make the seller our hard money lender, because most sellers don't need more than about $5,000 tomorrow. They, they usually, if they're going to sell their house, they don't need the big chunk of $285,000. They need like five. So what we do is we say, all right, we'll give you five now. We're going to take over your first at 210, and then the rest we're going to pay you in 90 days. So we do that a lot, which we're, we're you know acquiring it creatively. Five in their pocket, taking over the first subject to owner finance in the second. Then we do the light cosmetic work, which that stuff is right in the in the zone, right in the wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my analogy is if y'all have ever seen the movie Hitch with Will Smith, there's a part where he's he's telling Kevin James – about how to dance at a party. And Kevin James, I wish we were on YouTube, y'all could see this. So Kevin James, he starts just moving and grooving, right? And he's got all these crazy moves. And then Will Smith goes, don't you ever, ever do that again. And then he just, you see Will Smith just stay right in this real small zone where he's just doing the, this move on his shoulders. He says, he says, you stay right here the whole night, the whole party. This is your zone. And so that's our zone usually when I, when I picture that, the zone of these cosmetic rehabs, right? You just, you're changing out the, the carpet for some uh, vinyl plank flooring, get some, uh, maybe some new paint on the walls. Maybe you go outside, do a little bit of touch-ups for the landscaping. And meanwhile, we're not necessarily selling for full, full retail value, but it's good enough to pass an FHA inspection. It's good enough to sell retail and so we acquired it creatively, and that's really about 50% of what we're doing right now. Yes, we do, we do uh, maybe 5% of the time, we are doing some form of, of, of putting a tenant buyer in there, I call them, 
you know, and doing a rent to own. Um, but the only times we do that are if the numbers are huge. Um, because as y'all know, tenant buyers uh, oftentimes are, they're, they're such a, they're such flighty, um, flaky people typically, in, at least in our experience. And I hope I'm, I'm not offending anyone when I say that, that we, um, we have to be careful about, uh, about becoming a, an owner of a rental property unless the cash flow is big enough. If, if we have a deal that's got a 20% uh, per month or more net cash flow, then we'll, we'll hold on to it and put a tenant buyer in there for a while, especially if it has no equity. And we have to basically sell it to them a year or two later. Um, and then in some cases, if if it doesn't have any cash flow and they owe about what it's worth, sometimes we'll flip that to a we call an owner finance buyer. And so, I mean, those probably maybe that's five percent. So I don't know if I've, I've reached one hundred and ten percent of my <laughs> my total here, y'all. But uh, we do some of that as well. It just it depends because our, our whole entire business model is sourced on the idea that we're, we're working with motivated sellers that are off market. And yeah. then we figure out what bucket to put them in. You know, what's the best bucket for that deal? Is it this angle? Is it that angle? And then we get really creative sometimes, but that's like the 1%. Here, y'all like this story. I know we got a few minutes left, but since you all are connoisseurs of cool deals, this is a good one. So I had this seller call up, and uh, I had, this crazy as it sounds, I had bought a house from him that he had paid three months earlier, all cash. He'd paid 250 for it. Then fully furnished it. It was right near the beach because uh, I live in Florida. And um, he fully furnished it another twenty grand. So he's in the deal at two seventy. He sells it to me for two hundred because he needed money like a week and a half later. So I I paid cash for the two hundred and then put it on the market. And I sold it for two fifty with the furniture in like a month. So that. But yeah. he calls me back. You know, this is the crazy part. He calls me back a year later and he says, uh, he says Phil. Do you uh do you buy uh, townhomes? And I said maybe you got another one, <laughs> you know, because you know me. I'm like, shoot, what else has this guy got in his in his garage sale? He wants to sell me for a bargain. And um, he says, well, I owe uh, about 102 on this thing. Uh, now I paid 140 for it, and so I just I just want 5,000 in my pocket, and you can have it. And so I looked it up, and here's the problem, y'all. He paid too much when he paid 140 for it. Right. He just paid too much. His, his real estate agent, she really I mean, she really should have treated him better because he paid too much on both those houses. So anyways, um, I said, man, I don't want your house. Even if you gave it to me, I don't want it. He goes, man, Phil, I need your help. You helped me last time. Come on, man. What can you do? So um, that afternoon, I'm driving with the wife and kids to Olive Garden, and uh, I'm thinking, what do I do with this deal? And uh, I said, man, because the guy's so, he was one of the nicest, his name was Barry. He's like the nicest seller on planet Earth. Super nice guy. He lived in West Virginia and his house, his houses are here in Florida. So I come up with a plan. He bought the property in an LLC, not in his personal name. And I personally knew from the other deal that he had sold to me, um, you know, about a year prior, it was in that same LLC. And I, um, and the way the timing was, I knew he had taken a bath of 70000 on the previous deal in that LLC, and he was about to take a bath on this one. And it hit me. I said, I need to buy the LLC. Because hmm. if I buy the LLC, I can get his $70,000 loss before I file my taxes, which was coming up in like a month. I can get the 70000 loss. And then based on my tax bracket, it's, it's no secret, y'all. At, at some point, you will be paying 43 percent 4% in taxes to the federal government. So um, if you do enough deals. 
And so I uh, I was like, man, 43.4% of 70000 even if I lose money on the deal, interesting. <laughs> I'm still making thirty grand in tax. To, I mean, that, that's thirty thousand dollars in my pocket. Or I ran the numbers. Maybe I, I, it was it was enough money to make it work, right? So I literally bought the LLC, gave him five thousand dollars, simply for the tax deduction, and he still had a tenant in that darn townhome of his. And so what happened was the tenant finally, uh, thankfully, the tenant did not uh, give me any problems. When their lease was up, I did not renew it. They moved out. I put it on the market, and uh, and I ended up selling it for 120. So what happened was I didn't actually lose money. I think I broke even after the commissions and paying the buyer's closing costs. I broke even on the townhome, got my 5k back, but I collected what amounted to ninety thousand dollars in losses on that LLC, which translated based on my tax bracket into a lot of money. So. Sometimes we'll do creative, creative deals like that that go way off the uh, deep end, especially if you're in a situation where you've I, got a really high tax bracket. I have never heard of that before, Phil. That's fantastic. I guess I should go out and look for some LLCs that have losses in them. You no, know, it works, though. You, I mean, it, 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 that particular case, though, I mean, that was kind of an anomaly. I, I'm sure yeah. you could generate a list. You know, through list source or something to try to figure that out. Only corporately owned, bought in the last two years. I mean, you could probably try to market to those people. But yeah, if everybody else listening, if you all do need a big fat tax deduction, I mean, it worked a lot better in 2010 when people had bought houses in 08 in the top of the market and they were taking losses on their on their investment properties. Yeah, yeah, that that was an even better time to to buy an LLC with a big fat loss in there. So maybe in a couple of years we'll have this opportunity where the market tanks or something, we could pick up some LLC losses. <laughs> Phil, we're out of time, doggone it. Would you be open to a part two? Absolutely. Nice. That'd be great. Nice. All right. So we can share some more horror stories. <laughs> oh, we've got a lot of them. Yes. Uh, Phil, how can they get the book, Real Estate Investing Gone Bad? Uh, just go to Amazon and, and just type in Real Estate Investing Gone Bad. All right. I'm looking at it right here. It's free if you have Kindle Unlimited. If you want to buy the paperback, it's only 10 bucks, And you can get it on Audible for 2 bucks. Yeah, you, and, and y'all may want to, because that's me reading it too. I didn't get some uh, voiceover, <laughs> some guy from England to read it. No, it's me. <laughs> cool. Nice. And uh, of course, your website is freedommentor.com if anybody wants to go there and check you out. And just go to YouTube, and I don't know how many videos you have, hundreds of thousands of videos. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I got, yeah, I got hundreds of videos now, and um, every single one I put my heart and soul when I roll them out, so... You know when you're watching one of my videos, you know I've taken care to put together a good training, y'all. You, it won't be a waste of your time, no matter what video you watch. Awesome. Phil, thank you so much for your time. This is part one. We will. Um, I'll message you, Phil, and let's get part two scheduled. We'd really appreciate it. I'd like to talk with you more about marketing, how you're finding deals, talk to you more about wholesaling subject twos, which I think is a fantastic subject, talk about some more horror stories. You're having some great, tremendous success with students, and we appreciate you sharing uh, some of the some of that um, teaching here on the podcast. Oh, I, I appreciate you guys having me on here. This has been a blast. Phil Pustiovsky, did I get that right? Nailed it. All right. Hey, thanks, Phil. Guys, if you want more information on Phil, thanks, Phil. FreedomMentor.com. Go to Amazon, get his book, Real Estate Investing Gone Bad. Great book, and uh, check it out. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks again, Phil. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.